This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Asian Insider, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. Now, as we speak, roughly one year ago on the morning of the 1st of February 2021, Myanmar's army, the Tatmadaw, launched a coup d'etat. It accused Myanmar's ruling party, the National League for Democracy, the NLD, of electoral fraud and corruption. The army was met with wide opposition in the streets. A broad-based resistance movement has been formed, including various people's militias, to fight against the State Administration Council, which is the official name of the regime. But as of September last year, well over 200,000 had been internally displaced since the coup. 8,000 have been arrested, 1,100 killed in conflicts and crackdowns, among them at least 26 journalists. The regime has sentenced erstwhile state secretary and NLD leader Aung San Suu Kyi to six years in prison. ASEAN diplomacy, as far as we know, has achieved little or nothing to alleviate the conflict or find a way out of it. And the International Rescue Committee estimates that 14.4 million people are in need of humanitarian aid. Now, I could go on and on, but today I am joined by Richard Hosey, senior advisor on Myanmar at the International Crisis Group, currently in Melbourne, and from right here in Washington, D.C. by Jan Jan, a student and co-founder of GM4MD, the global movement for Myanmar democracy. Jan Jan, welcome to Asian Insider. And Richard, welcome back to Asian Insider. Good to see you both. Good to see you as well. Thanks for having us. Great to be back on Asian Insider, Nima. Thank you, Richard. Richard, if I may start with you, one year after the coup, it seems we only have bad news, really. But is there any cause for hope or optimism that you can see for a return to some kind of stability and progress politically? Look, I think if we're thinking in terms of a return to democracy in Myanmar, that seems some way off. But there are definite uh, signs of hope. I take you know, great encouragement from the fact that the resistance movement has moved beyond the traditional boundaries of politics in Myanmar. In a sense, the coup has uni- united many people across the country in a way that hasn't been possible before. So I think that, that increased unity, that increased understanding across ethnic lines and the prominence of young activists and, and politicians coming to the forefront of this movement in a country that's been plagued by kind of gerontocracy and, and leaders in their 70s and 80s. I take a lot of encouragement from that. So I'm glad you mentioned that, Richard, because now one of the features of this turn of events in Myanmar is that it has affected an entirely new generation, one that came of age in 10 years of relative freedom and progress that was abruptly cut off. Jan Jan, as someone from that generation and the co-founder of gm for md can you tell us where the movement for democracy stands now? Yes, um, I would very much agree with uh, what Richard just said about how there's so much hope that continues to prevail um, despite you know all the setbacks and despite all the just despairing news that comes from the ground daily. But um, I would say that, you know, with uh, especially the use of technology and like Gen Z, especially that's been so prevalent um, and very active in this movement, um, there is a lot at stake here um, that, and that they have, and uh, they are not backing down at all. You know, this is basically what they're fighting for. They're fighting for their futures. They're fighting for their education. They're fighting for their entire lives, you know, and no one has anything to lose, which is the same mentality that they've had ever since the first day of the coup. And they're still going strong with this entire mindset. And so is everyone out here in the diaspora. 
Richard, there has been some talk of an election in August 2023. But the way things are now, it is difficult to imagine that. But are there any signs the regime also wants a way out? Well, the regime seems determined to hold elections in 2023 and seems to think that this will be some sort of pathway out of the crisis for it. I mean, these elections have been mooted since shortly after the coup. But, you know, the context is such that it's, it's kind of magical thinking from the regime. It's impossible to imagine how they would actually be able to conduct elections, whether they're free or fair or not, just rolling out tens of thousands of polling stations across the country when their hold on much of the, te- of the territory is tenuous. And where these elections would be nothing like the rigged elections of 2010, these are happening against a backdrop where the country spoke very loudly and clearly in 2020. And any new elections would be seen rightly by the population as an attempt to wipe out that NLD victory uh, from 2020. And almost no one would cooperate. It would be a flashpoint for violence rather than a, a stepping stone to some a greater stability. Mm. Jan, do you agree with that um, estimate? Yeah, I would pretty much agree as well. You know, any ideas or talks about even elections is simply nonsense at this point. You know, it makes no sense um, to be calling for any such thing. I don't even know who in the world gave him the confidence to think this way or even like mention that there should be any election in the first place when people are absolutely not for this military regime. They are wanting to uproot it right out of the ground and they're not having it at all. There's no way that um, anyone is even going to be accepting them if there is any election. And I don't even think anyone would, would be willing to participate, period. A very big change from previous military eras. Now, GM for MD describes itself as a rookie youth diaspora organization formed in response to the coup. What kind of response have you had from your generation's diaspora, MD? Uh, yes, uh, with our movement, we have actually been able to accomplish many amazing things, things that I never even foresaw myself. But just to give you a few examples of our accomplishments, we've been able to sign on a bunch of organizational letters um, in support, many advocacy asks to help uh, the cause over there and also just push against whatever actions that the military is trying to do in terms of getting recognition, uh, such as at ASEAN or conferences. And uh, we have in total um, been able to fundraise over $30,000 for people on the ground in terms of medical supplies, getting aid to people for humanitarian aid, um, for IDPs and refugees and um, you know, just other sorts of needs that are on the ground. We actually have an accomplishments sheet on, on our website, which you can actually check out. But some other accomplishments also include just uh, reaching out to many different kinds of partners, connecting people from all over the world, um, and also especially facilitating these country hub networks, uh, which have been able to operate on their own now and basically fly out of the nest in a way. But we continue to um, maintain these kind of connections so that we can further build and strengthen networks for Burma pro-democracy advocacy in a nutshell. And is there more consensus than there has been before between different ethnic groups in Myanmar in this? More consensus amongst the ethnic groups? I would say yes, more than ever before. This is unprecedented in history. Um, I would say yes, even though there is a lot more consensus, that doesn't mean that every single person in the country is entirely like, you know, in consensus and totally united. There's still, of course, people who are a little bit, you know, on different pages in terms of what federal democracy looks like or who exactly they should be siding for. Um, are they for the NUG or the NLD? You know, all those sorts of talks in terms of politics. There's, I would say that there's not entirely like a clear, laid out vision for as to how like the future should go about. But in terms of uprooting the military, everyone is on the same page for that, I would say. So it's just a matter of really 
you know, creating even more solidarity and inter, uh, I would say, inter-ethnic um, relationships and mutual understanding uh, and cultural exchange very much. So hopefully we can do more of that um, during this time. And that's exactly also what GeoInformD is aiming to do through our People and Cultures Initiative. We hold like monthly webinars, you know, just to facilitate this sort of uh, discussion amongst people in the diaspora, at least, and maybe hopefully some involve some people on the ground as well. Um, but that's also something that we hope for in the future that, um, you know, people, especially in the education systems, will be able to have more room to discuss these sorts of topics and learn more about one another. Interesting. Uh, Richard, before the transition in 2011, Myanmar had been under a military government for 26 years. Now, to state the obvious, times have changed, and you yourself said, uh, and Chan Chan agreed that if they call an election next year, it'll be difficult to roll out uh, an election. And it won't be seen as free and fair. It'll be a flashpoint for conflict. But do you think it is tenable for the military to hang on to power for another decade? Or is it more likely that it will call an election and try to manage it next year, despite all this? I think the purpose of the election in the mind of the generals is to put a kind of vanilla, uh, civilian veneer on their rule. So they want some ability to claim that, you know, there's been an election that maybe Min Aung Hain, maybe someone else uh, is chosen as president. The NLD is sidelined. Aung San Suu Kyi is sidelined. And, you know, the military can be the kingmakers. They can encourage a few small ethnic parties, a few Burma parties to participate. But with their 25% block of seats, they'll be in charge of the parliament and they'll be controlling lawmaking, but also the formation of a government. That's their vision. That's how they intend to move forward. But I don't think it's possible. I think any attempt at an election will trigger enormous violence. Anyone participating in that election would be subject to violence. Any government officials running that election would be subject to violence. And I just don't think the military is going to have the security control that it needs, not in 2023, but in the six months or more ahead of the elections that it would need to put them in place. So I think, I think it, will, it wants to do this, but I just don't think it will be able to pull it off. Okay, Richard, I want to come back to you with a last question. But before that, Janjan, I'm curious, has the jailing of Dong San Suu Kyi led to her return as an icon of democracy in the public imagination? Her leadership was not exactly without flaws. The pogrom of the Rohingya minority saw her essentially defending the military at The Hague. What does she mean now to the Burmese people and to the ethnic minorities? I would say that to some of the Burmese people, she still remains a, an awesome icon, and she's very much praised and looked up to never falling from grace. But as for a majority of those from the ethnic groups, but for some people from the Bamar population, would also side with the ethnic minorities in uh, believing that Aung San Suu Kyi is not the person to put all your trust and hope in. You know, I think everyone, for the majority, um, has been already way past this sort of you know, situation where everyone is just putting up her up on a pedestal and really looking up to her. This movement is not about any one lady. This movement is about everyone. This movement is about many women leaders. This movement is about freedom and democracy and so much more than just one lady taking office and holding a political position. So um, I would say for a lot of people, especially ethnic minorities, she's not really been someone that uh, a lot of people have put trust in. And she's not someone who is really worthy of attention, if that makes sense. So everyone has moved on past her. I, I think some people would still sympathize uh, for her um, that she's being jailed and would feel sorry, but everyone has gone past that point now of you know putting her up there and thinking that she can change the whole nation. 
Very interesting. Richard, same question to you. What is your assessment of uh, San Suu Kyi and her position now in Myanmar? Has Myanmar gone beyond her? I think certainly the resistance movement has gone beyond Aung San Suu Kyi's traditional positions. You know, she's always advocated nonviolence. Uh, she's also someone who's seen herself and the NLD leadership as the, as the rightful rulers of the country, not a broad-based alliance. She hasn't reached out across ethnic lines uh, in, in the past very much. So all of that has changed, and I think that's hugely significant. And it means that if Aung San Suu Kyi remains in incommunicado detention, the movement will go on without her and into a new era. However, I would say that she remains by a long way, the most prominent political individual in the country, probably the most popular individual in the country. And so if at some point she did have her voice or even her freedom, I don't think she should be ruled out. I think if she were to come out publicly and criticize armed struggle or come out publicly and, and you know advocate for the NLD leadership rather than the NUG and its alliances to be driving the, the resistance, I think that would have a huge impact. I think it could uh, you know, split uh, opinion uh, and, and so on. On the other hand, if she came out, you know, firmly backing everything that was happened, I think that would give an enormous uh, boost. But I think these are hypothetical questions because all the indications are that Min Ong Hai wants to keep her silent. He wants to keep her out of the way, locked in her house. You know, he didn't uh, give uh, Hun Sen the possibility to meet her, even though that could have been, you know, quite a clever move from him to diffuse some of the ASEAN pressure. Doesn't look like he's interested in using her as Fan Shui did as a kind of pawn. Uh, in, in a broader political game. I think he just wants her out of the picture. Fascinating. Uh, thank you very much. Richard Horsey, Jan Jan, thank you very much for joining me on Asian Insider. All the best out there. Great to speak to you again, Nima. Thanks for having us again. Thank you. That nicely wraps this discussion up for the Asian Insider podcast. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. Join me and my expert guests for the next episode on the fourth Friday of every month. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.